But I do want y'all to put your hands together for my boys, man. Last week, they ran the cameras, they ran the switcher, they ran the computer by themselves. <laughs> Clap for yourself. There you go. <laughs> they found out about 10, 15 minutes before the service. Hey, y'all are doing this by yourself. <laughs> so let's get cracking. And uh, uh, as hard as it is when you're not prepared to preach to an empty room, it's, it's pretty difficult when you're not prepared to run any of that. And uh, they did a great job rolling with the punches uh, last week. You know, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. John chapter 3. So you can turn in your Bibles there to John 3. It'll also be on the screens. Uh, if you're watching online, it'll be right below me on your screen. Uh, if you grab a Bible off the rack there, it's on page, convenient for you, 888, 888. So you can find that there. John chapter 3. You know, I read, it was actually a while back, a story, uh, a book was written by uh, this guy, and he was talking about his family and the spiritual journey that he'd been on with his family. And they were going to move, but the spiritual journey they'd been on, they were really convicted about how much stuff they had. And if you ever moved, you know you always have more stuff than you thought you had. But they were really convicted, and they, they were going to downgrade their house a little bit. They didn't need as much house as they had in, in their current situation. And so they were going through a list. Okay, if we go to this new place and we start looking around where we want to live, what neighborhood we want to live in, what you know, part of town or, or part of the state we want to live in, the husband and the wife, they sat down, and they started making a list, each of them. Okay, well, what is necessary wherever we're going to live? What are the essentials? that we need where we're going to live. And see, so the, they said, okay, wife, you're going to make your list. Husband, you're going to make your list. We're going to come together. And we're going to, you know, try to figure this out, compromise where we can do this. This was a spiritual exercise because even though they had been going on a spiritual journey together, they'd also been going on a spiritual journey separately. And so they were coming into the conversation from two different places and two different perspectives. Husbands and wives, do you ever come to a conversation with different perspectives and different opinions? <laughs> Never, never. You're right. You're always on the same page. Good man, good man. And, and uh, well, they came together with their list, and the, the wife went first, and she started reading her list off of what was necessary, what is essential for where they were moving. And she said, okay, well, we need to be close to family, and uh, we need to be close to, to good schools. You know, we've got five kids, so we need at least like four bedrooms in the house, and we need at least two or three bathrooms in the house. We have two vehicles. You know, we don't want to leave vehicles outside in case it, for, you know, snows and ices and they get snow and ice all over them and you got to warm them up. And we don't know how that's like in southern Arkansas, but uh, they do wherever they live. So, so we want like a two-car garage, fit both vehicles in there. And so she went down her list and, and as she was reading her list and it kept going, his head started getting lower and lower and lower like this. And she looked up, like, what's, what's wrong? Why you, read me your list. And he goes, no, I don't want, no, let's talk about it later. And he didn't want to read his list. And so she finally pried it out of him. No, just give me a list. He goes, now understand, I was coming at this from a different angle, okay? And she said, okay, fine. Just, you know, my list, you know, close to family, as long as we're, that's good. Okay, what is, you know, on your list, what is necessary and what is essential? And he pulled out his list and he goes, okay, I only have three things. Okay, three things, easy, no big deal. We can fit that into my list. Okay, three things. Yeah, food. Water, shelter. <laughs> a little bit different than her list. He said, I was coming at it from a different perspective. What is essential? Food is necessary. I get living close to family, and, and it, it turned into a discussion there. But uh, it was, he, he came at it from the perspective, what is absolutely necessary? Not from this overarching, okay, this is necessary and essential, and not for life, but for what we really want and where we're going. And his thought was, well, what do we need to live? We need food, and we need water, and we need shelter so we don't die. That's where he was coming at from this, and he would get to the place they were going eventually, and uh, they, they had obviously more than food and, and, and water and shelter where they were going. But he, he, he had been on this spiritual journey with the Lord, and the Lord really convicted him, most of the stuff you have is not essential is not necessary. Most of the things you have are not necessary at all. It's not necessarily having 10 shirts in your closet and you only really wear three of them. It's more basic than that is where the Lord was bringing him. And so what we're going to look at today in John chapter 3 
is really that discussion. What is necessary? What is essential in this life? What is absolutely necessary for God's purpose to be fulfilled in my family, for God's purpose to be fulfilled in me, for God's purpose to be fulfilled in our church, in Queen? What is absolutely necessary for that to happen? And so we're going to look at that. John chapter 3. Last week we were in the first part of John chapter 3. And Jesus was talking with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council. I mean, he was the not just spiritual elite, he was the social elite. All right? And he had a, a title from what we can tell in the scripture. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. I mean, he was a, a big deal. And in this moment, Jesus calls him out. Because Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's curious, he wants to know more. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to come out of the darkness and come into the light. And so in the rest of the book of John, Nicodemus shows up two more times. And in both of those times, he's standing up for Jesus. He goes with Joseph of Arimathea to Pilate to get the body of Jesus. Very public, everyone would have known that. Not only that, the one that really stands out to me is he stood up in front of the whole Jewish ruling council, Nicodemus did as a member of the ruling council, and he sided with Jesus against them. That is huge. And so Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at nighttime, Jesus calls him out, come out of the darkness, into the light, and Nicodemus does that with the rest of his life. And so this would have had a profound impact on everyone who was a follower of Jesus, who heard about this story, or his disciples who were there when this was happening, particularly because of what happens next. We hear from another of a follower of Jesus. John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now, what's interesting here is it says Jesus was baptizing. Now, truth of the matter is, Jesus himself was not physically baptizing. It was Jesus' ministry that was doing the baptizing. Okay, uh, It was his disciples. We find this out in John chapter 4, uh, that it was Jesus' disciples who were doing the baptizing, and Jesus was there overseeing. I mean, we're talking like, you know, five, six, seven, ten people getting baptized at once, and Jesus is there teaching and instructing and guiding in the process kind of a deal. And so they're down here, and, and, and they're all baptizing in the Judean countryside. Okay, this is the middle of nowhere, down by the creek kind of a deal. Verse 23. John, now this is John the Baptist. This is not John who wrote the book of John. This is John the Baptist, relative of Jesus. John the Baptist was baptizing at Ainon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, so John the Baptist was also down there baptizing. Now, this, this location he gives, this is very close to where Jesus and his disciples are. I mean, this is like they can look throw a stone and hit them. I mean, they're just right down the river. And they're baptizing over there. Jesus is over here with his disciples, and this is going on. So when a crowd comes down, they could potentially get baptized twice. Hit up John, walk a few feet, hit Jesus' his disciples, double baptize, double pure, double good, and they go home, and they're good to go, you know, for the, for the deal. And this is going on in the same area, you know, kind of like churches being down the road from each other, ministering in the same area. You know, and stuff was different back then, right? I mean, today, people don't get jealous of other churches and other things that happen in other churches because we're far beyond that now. But back then, stuff like that kind of happened. I'm being facetious here. It's a joke. Come on. All right? And uh, so Jesus is there with his disciples. John's down the river, and they're all baptizing together. Okay, now, even though they were doing this in different places, they were different people kind of really doing different baptisms because the baptism of Jesus and the baptism of John the Baptist were different. And Jesus talks about this. Paul talks about this as well. That John the Baptist was baptizing for repentance in preparation of the Son of God coming. Jesus was there, Son of God. And so the baptism they were doing was a, was a baptism into a new life. Kind of like, I mean, it's what we do. Representing getting new life in Jesus. Okay, and so that's the baptism that's going on there. And so two different guys, two different approaches, two different methods, but all for the same kingdom. And that's what John is going to de describe to his own disciples because something happens in verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. 
And so another Jew had come down to the river to find out what was going on, possibly to be baptized by John. And as he's waiting in line, the, this Jew and John's disciples get into a discussion. <laughs> now, when I'm preparing for, for a message or a teaching or, or whatever, um, I'll start, I'll read the passage a, a bunch of times, and I'll, I'll flip through a bunch of commentaries and um, see what they say and, and agree with some of them and disagree with others and, and put them back on my shelf because I think that guy's nuts. Uh, but uh, you should be walking through my office on like, or walking through the office Monday morning, Monday afternoon. You can hear me arguing sometimes with the, with the books. Uh, and, uh, well, I guess this past week it was at my house because everything was snowed in. But the week before that, uh, I know some people, I know there was a Wee Center teacher in the copy room when I was saying, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then I realized that somebody was there, and I said, well, I need to be a little quieter. <laughs> they, they don't need to hear the pastor saying somebody's dumb, but it was the dumbest thing I ever heard. Anyway, so back to Scripture, Herbert, come on. And so uh, this discussion arose. And so what, I'll look through the commentaries, and then I'll start looking through the original languages because it's always fun to see what the original words mean. And one that I, this it may be my, one of my new favorite Greek words, is this word for discussion. Because when I, re, I'm going to read you the definition as it literally is in the Greek dictionary, all right? Because it's too good. It's too, it, I have to read word for word because it's so good. And, and when I read this, you're going to realize, you know what? I had a discussion this morning with my wife on the way to church. So here it is. This is a discussion. Literally means to express forceful differences of opinion without necessarily having a presumed, a, presumed, a, a presumed goal of seeking a solution. So it's expressing a, for, a forceful disagreement without having any intention of finding a solution. Have you ever had a discussion with somebody you're sitting on the row with? You ever had a discussion with somebody else who's in the room right now? <laughs> with a family member? With, with, with a friend. I had a forceful disagreement without any intention of coming to a solution. And so that's what, that's, that's what the word literally means. Now, I dis, and it's very easy in the English, right? A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And we're talking knock down, drag out. I am not budging. You are ridiculous. You are going to hell. You need to listen to what I'm saying right now. And none of you have ever seen anybody ever do this, especially around the election or anything. No one has ever done, none of you, you are all too pure and holy, and you're going to have the biggest mansion in heaven, you bunch of liars. And so this was going on, and this discussion was here. And so, this, so remember, John's over here with his disciples. Jesus over here with his disciples. John, some of John's disciples start getting into it with this Jew. I mean, like, just knock down, drag out, almost screaming match type of deal. And this is going on. And then they want to take it to the next level and say, fine, this guy's not listening to us at all. And so look what happens. Verse 26. So they came to John, their rabbi. And they said, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Now, it seems like the question they're asking John has nothing to do with this guy they're screaming at. But really... They were screaming at this guy because of what they're coming to John with. They're frustrated about Jesus and that he is, is baptizing a different baptism than they are, than he is. Saying this doesn't make any sense. And so this, what we can draw from this context, is the thing that they're arguing with this other Jew about seems to be the difference in the type of baptism of Jesus and the type of baptism of John. And so they come to John and they say, John, man, that Jesus you said is the son of God, he's right over there. And he's getting more people than we are. And this is, we don't like this, John, man, John. You were here first, John. You need to fix this situation, John. And so they're coming to John, and they're bringing this to him. And John hears this. And now John, I don't know if you know much about John the Baptist, but John the Baptist was a prophet. And oftentimes prophets have very little grace in what they say. Not necessarily because that's their heart, but because that's the word they've been given. I mean, go and read Jeremiah. Go and read Isaiah. Sometimes the stuff that God gives them to say to the people is very, very hard and not at all very nice sometimes. But God needs to communicate it to get the people back where he wants them to be. And so that's kind of John. I mean, John was talking about the Pharisees. John was saying all kinds of stuff and getting all up in their face. And so they come to John with this. But the answer they receive from John is a lot gentler than 
many other times the words that John speaks. Look at verse uh, 20. Well, I lost my place. Uh, Verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Now, so that they, these disciples came to John and said, John, Jesus is getting more guys than you. And John says, now, listen, people. <laughs> the only reason we had anybody coming to us is because God gave it to us. It's not because I'm a great speaker. It's not because I smell good. John did not smell good. He probably smelled really, really bad uh, from the description we get from him. Uh, he said, it's not because I'm doing something new. People did this long before I got here and did this. He said, the only reason we had anybody coming to us, the only reason we had any kind of blessing is because God gave it to us. Oftentimes, how many, now don't raise your hand or don't point to anybody. How many times do we end up with the perspective of those disciples of John and think we deserve something that we don't or that we have something that, or we had something that we thought we had earned and then we lost it and we got frustrated with the fact that we lost it when it wasn't even really ours to begin with. God had given it to us to start with and when we lost it, we felt like it was a rejection of us, but it wasn't ours to begin with. Maybe it was a job. Maybe you lost a job and you got mad. Man, I deserve that. That guy who fired me, he needs to be fired because he's breaking the law. And maybe, maybe it's a, a demotion or maybe, maybe it's a cut in finances or maybe it's a health thing. God, I did so much for you. I've been giving to you for so many years. God, I've been attending church for so many years. God, I told my kids about you and we pray and we read the Bible once a week. We're good to go, God. And why don't you take care of us? We feel like we deserve it. But we don't. We, I mean, if we were going to be honest with ourselves, okay, we don't want what we deserve. We don't. You say, I deserve it. Yeah, you don't want what you deserve. You don't want to have that conversation. Because <laughs> what we deserve is punishment. When we start saying, I deserve this, we deserve this, what we're doing is we have a misunderstanding of the depth of our sin and the depth of our good deeds. They don't weigh the same. They don't weigh the same. We could take every good deed that we do from the moment we're born to the moment we die, pile them up on a scale, and on the other end of the scale put one sin. And the moment that one sin touches the other end of the scale, the good stuff just shoots right off because it doesn't even register on the scale. Sin weighs a lot. And so all of our sin compiled make us deserve punishment. And what God did is he came and he died and he rose from the dead in Jesus so that we could be forgiven of all of that sin and know eternity in heaven. And so John is communicating to his disciples, guys, anything that we had, we didn't deserve it. (laughs) We didn't earn any of that. We didn't earn any of those followers. We didn't earn any of the, you know, we try to maybe, they came to John and say, hey, John, you know, we had, you know, 50 more people last week than this week. We need to replicate what we did last week. John's saying, no, we didn't do anything that brought the people in the first place. God did. So we're going to keep walking where God tells us to go. And whatever comes, comes because he sent it, not because we, you know, fabricated it out of nothing. It's God's choice. God blesses whom he will. And John's telling his disciples, anything we had came from heaven, not from me. Verse 28 tells the disciples, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. What we see in John is phenomenal self-awareness. He understands what his assignment was, at least in this moment. He's saying to them, I was sent before the Christ to come. I was sent before the Son of God was supposed to come. I was sent before him, before he arrived. He says, but now the Christ has arrived. But now he has shown up. So when he says, therefore, my joy, this joy of mine is now complete. I have completed my primary work that I was sent to do. It's over. And so, yeah, they're going to have more than us because this is over now. And so we need to move on with what God's called us next to do. And John's next ministry would be prison and beheading. 
How would you like that to be your next season of life? But John stepped into this decreasing influence knowing that's what God had called him to do. He had done the primary stuff. He had, had prepared the way. He was baptizing people all for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus. Jesus was there. And so John's work with that was done. And then he says this phenomenal line, one sentence, that sums it all up. It sums up really John's whole ministry. It should become our theme verse. Verse 30, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John was all for the betterment of the kingdom, and if that meant a seeming demotion for himself, then he was okay with it. If it was a demotion in the eyes of the world, not in the eyes of God, it was not, definitely not that. Jesus gives this great testimony about who John was and that John was the greatest of the great of human beings outside of Jesus. And so he says, even if it, it's considered to be a demotion in the eyes of the world, he's not getting as many people as Jesus is, and so his ministry's not doing as good. You know, he, he, he was the cool thing last year, but this year he's not so much. And so we're not going to pay any attention to John anymore because he's not hot. He's just there. John says, it doesn't matter. It's all for the kingdom. Because he must increase. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. And I want to point something out to you, too, from the original language here. That word must literally means it is necessary. It is necessary. It is necessary. Remember that conversation we had at the beginning about the guy and his wife talking about what is necessary? Here it is. He is necessary. Jesus, his increase is necessary. My decrease is necessary. For the kingdom to grow, for the purpose of God to increase, for the purpose of God to be fulfilled in my life, more of Jesus is necessary. Less of me is necessary. The problem we have is a lot of, maybe it's not you, maybe it's me. The problem I have a lot of times is I confuse what is necessary with my own mind. And I, can, I, I think, okay, well, this will honor God. And so what I'm doing is I am strategizing the best way that I would honor God instead of listening to God's direction and what he desires. See, it would make sense if John is pointing people to Jesus. Shouldn't John have the biggest, you know, try to get the most amount of people so he can just point the most amount of people to Jesus, even though Jesus is standing three feet away, and he can just say, there he is, go follow him. Stop following me, follow him. But the disciples, John's disciples, didn't get it in the moment. But John's trying to tell them, more of Jesus is necessary, less of me is necessary in order for the kingdom to grow, in order for... The, 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 the purpose of God to be fulfilled, more of Jesus is necessary and less of me, less of my way, less of what I want, more of Jesus is necessary. If, if I want the world to be better, it takes more Jesus. I mean, how many of you, you want the world to be a better place? You want the world, to, I want the world to be a better place. I want it to be better. And I believe the best way to do that is with more love. And I believe that the greatest example of love is Jesus. More Jesus, more love, better world. More Jesus, more love, better world. More Jesus is necessary. Otherwise, the world's not going to be better. My world's not going to be better. The world of my kids is not going to be better. The world of the church is not going to be better. The queen, the community is not going to be better if there's not more Jesus. It needs more Jesus. More Jesus. And where you're going to find is the more Jesus you begin to receive, the more Jesus you begin to intake, you're going to realize, man, I need a lot more than even the more I'm taking in. It's kind of like, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. We saw him on a commercial. Uh, you might remember Michael Phelps, the swimmer, swim the Olympics, won like a bajillion gold medals. Guy's crazy. And uh, did you ever see the interview he did with Good Morning America about his diet? Michael Phelps would eat like 12,000 calories a day. The average person, well, what the cereal box tells you, eats 2,000, or supposed to, calories a day. 12,000 calories a day to get to that 
point. As he began, and he didn't just start off that day, one day saying, hey, we're going to compete for the Olympics, so I'm going to you know, go from 2,000 to 3,000 calories. No, I mean, it was progressive, and he started realizing, and his coach started telling him, you're not consuming enough to be, to be competing at the level you need to be competing at. You're not consuming enough to be operating at the peak performance. And he would eat more and realize he needed to, in order to put out more, he needed to eat more. Then he would put out more and needed, realize he needed to eat more. To the point where he's training for the Olympics and consuming what six average humans consume in order to be at that level. That's why he was at that level. And so when you begin to ingest Jesus and begin to operate on a spiritual level that you didn't think was possible, you suddenly realize, I need more. I'm not operating where God designed me to operate. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get in your head and, and, and tell you that, that where you're at is enough. The verse a day is enough. That's a great place to start, man. When the verse a day pops up on my phone, I'm good to go. It's, it's great. But that's not where you finish up. I mean, if you've been a believer for 40 years and the only Jesus you get is one verse a day, there may be some hiccup there, a hitch in your giddy-up. There may be a problem somewhere. You need some more Jesus. You need some more Jesus. I mean, if you can spend three hours on that one verse, man, maybe you're good to go. That's all you need is one verse. You can just suck that verse in and out and process the whole deal. I mean, I remember one time in one of my seminary classes, they, they gave us like three verses uh, from Psalms. They said, go home, make 50 observations about those three verses. And they came, that was on Tuesday, came back to class on Thursday. He says, great, those are great. Take those same verses, and by next Tuesday, I need 50 more observations. And we all, our draws hit the floor. We said, man, you are nuts. I remember drawing conclusions about where the comma was and why there's a period and not an exclamation point and trying to get every possible, why, why the word is spelled that way, trying to get everything I could out of the verse in order to get a passing grade. But it's that kind of, if, if you can do that with one verse, man, more power to you. You need to come and be teaching all of us all about that. But what you discover is the more Jesus you get, the more Jesus you need. And that's what John is trying to communicate to his disciples. I need more Jesus. You need more Jesus. In order for the kingdom to grow and the influence of God in the world to grow, there needs to be more Jesus. More Jesus is necessary. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from a heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent, that's Jesus, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. We're going to come back to that right there. Jesus gives the Spirit without measure. For the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This is a theme in the book of John. It's something that, that, that Jesus says over again. Whoever believes has eternal life. That is right now. That's not in the future. You have it right now. You believe in Jesus. You have eternal life right now. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. So the image is, if we don't believe in Jesus, God's wrath is on us. It's not doled out until we die and go to hell, but it's on us. It's like, like, a, like a, a mark on our lives that will be fulfilled at the end. But he says, if you believe in Jesus, that wrath is taken off of you. It's removed and never put back. It never put back. Because Jesus is greater. Jesus always tells the truth. He says it right there. That God is true. And that Jesus, he gives the Spirit without limitation. Now, this is a big deal. We can pass over it, and it sounds good. It sounds churchy. No limitation on the Holy Spirit. Great. But he gives the Spirit without limitation. Let me tell you why this is important. Because God, Jesus, and the Spirit are all one. Jesus said that he is God. God said in several places here, Ezekiel 36, 27, just mark it down, don't look there yet. God said, I will put my spirit within you. 
So God was saying, the Holy Spirit is me in you. Joel 2, 28. I will pour out my spirit on all. I will pour out my spirit on all. So the Holy Spirit is God poured out on his people. At different times throughout the Old Testament, he would do it you know, kind of in spurts, kind of like Samson is a great illustration of this. Samson, it says the spirit of God would rush on him and he would be strong, but then the spirit would leave him. But what we have after uh, Acts chapter 2 is when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and doesn't just rush on us in moments. Holy Spirit comes and is in us always. God is always with us. Jesus is always with us. That's why it's been said in Christian circles for many years, you accept Jesus in your heart. The idea is Jesus living in you. The Holy Spirit is in us. He cannot be removed. However, we are instructed in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So the, the implication is, even though you have the Holy Spirit, you believe in Jesus, you have him. There are times when we may not have as much of the Spirit as God intended us to have. That means we don't allow His influence as much as God intended us to allow His influence on us. Let me give you an illustration of this. So we're supposed to have more of Jesus, more of the Spirit, the Spirit without measure. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Oftentimes, we tend to think of being filled with the Spirit having the Spirit given to us by Jesus, like he said there in that verse. John said there in that verse, in verse 34. We tend to think of being filled with the Spirit like, like we're filled to the brim. Like, I'm filled with the Spirit. That means we're filled up to the top, and there's no more Spirit that can be poured into us, and we're filled, and we walk around like we're filled. Like you're walking around when you're full of water, and you're sloshing everywhere. It's kind of like that. We're walking around filled with the Spirit all the way up to the top. But that's not the image here. Filled to the brim is not the idea of what's going on here, because that really means filled to a certain point. I'm filled, I'm maxed, I'm filled up. There's no more that can fit. I'm all the way full of the Spirit, kind of like the blueberry girl in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm, I'm full, there's nothing else that can go in me. I'm all the way there. But that's not what he's talking about here, because the image isn't just that we can be filled to a certain point, because look at what he said. He gives the Spirit without measure. That's without limitation. Now, if I can only be filled up to here with the Spirit, that's a limitation on how much Spirit I can be filled up with. Right? You can only fill something to, to a certain point. It's, it's got a limitation. Let me give you an illustration with this. I've got some props up here. Let's see. Max, I'm leaning down to the monitor. I, almost, I was on the way. Are we good? Okay. Good job. He's already on top of it. Now, I, we've got this device at our house, this cooking device. Honestly, I don't even know when we got it. And I didn't know what it was for <laughs> at first. Um, actually, it's upside down. Hang on. That's going to drive me crazy. It's, it's kind of like a measuring cup. It's got measurements all on one side. And it's got measurements on this side, red and blue. It, you can, it's got dry stuff here. Start, you can go from a quarter cup down to two cups, and you fill it up in here, and you can see that. Or on the other side, if you've got some kind of liquidy thing, you can push it down, and you can fill it up with the liquid all the way up to the top. And then when you get ready to, to dish it out, you just push it up, and it falls out. And I, I, you know, this became a, 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 an essential item when um, I started, we would cook pizza on Friday night, I would make crust, and in my pizza crust has honey in it. And so I'd put honey in this, and you push it up, and then just scrape it off with a spatula, and it gets it all. This is a great, I don't even know where we got this. It says the Pampered Chef on it. All right, so there you go. Look it up. It's, this is a great device. You need this in your kitchen. Um, and so anyway, so I, we have this, and, and it's got all these measurements on the side. And so you can fill it up to a certain point there. So we're going to put this at, let's say, uh, half a cup. Right there. It says liquids right there. No. Well, don't mess me up now because I'm going to really be messed up. My OCD is already kicking in. Yeah. And so look. So I'm filling this up. Boom. I'm filled to the brim. Man, I overflowed. 
You can even see, if you look, it's kind of rounded out on top. I am filled to the brim with the water. And we saw last week, you know, uh, when Jesus was talking about baptism with water and with the Spirit, it's the same. And so you're filled with the Spirit. I mean, if if you are the, the cylinder there and you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled to the brim. But the thing is, I filled it to a certain measurement, half a cup. God didn't put a measurement on me. God didn't put a measurement on you. We put it on ourselves. We put the comparison on ourselves. We put the limit on ourselves. It's not God-given. It's put on ourselves. But you say, you know what? I'm having a better day today. I read today's verse of the day, and I did the today's devotion with a little video that pops up in the Bible app. So you know what? I am three-quarter cups worth of spirit today. Ooh, man, I am feeling good today. Woo! I got lots of spirit, lots of spirit, until we get to Walmart, and that guy with 30 items gets in the 15-item deal, and oh, man, I'm down a little bit of spirit. I still got some spirit, but I'm not giving it to that guy. I'm giving that guy something else. That guy who cut in front of me at the gas station, and he got the last of the regular gas, and all that's left is premium. I don't want to pay those extra 10 cents. That 10 cents is going to break me. Man, I'd get a little bit less today, and oh, man. Tell you, I felt that the other day when I when all they had was premium and easy mark. I was like, man, alive. Who's taking all the gas? All these people with generators, and I wanted to fill up my generator and take it from you. But anyway, and so we we get a little bit less, even if we push it all the way down. Push it all the way down. It feels like there, there's no room. There's still water there. There's still spirit in our lives. It's not very much. But the thing is, the idea is with the spirit. We're not supposed to be filled to capacity. We're not supposed to be filled to a max. The Spirit's supposed to continually flow through us. If it doesn't flow through us, then we're kind of like a frozen pipe. The water can only go to a certain point and can't get through to be used. A pipe's meant to have water flow through it, not stop in the middle of it. And so we're supposed to, hey, Caleb, come help me just a second. Hold the microphone so I don't shock myself. Come up here. Because I will shock myself, Max. This will be it. Just hold it near my face. Okay? We're supposed to flow through us. But you say, okay, the Spirit's flowing, but the Spirit's not filling me up. And that's just a little bit there. How's this supposed to work? I got a prop for that, too. microphone all right there it is <laughs> there's no microphone there all right well now the spirit's flowing now we're getting there but the only way that i can be filled with the spirit is if the spirit continues to flow that if i ever stop and put it back in it's going to stop and not going to keep flowing if something is blocking me, if something is distracting me, if something is causing a problem in my life that I'm allowing to enter my life and prevent the spirit, then there's going to be stoppage. Then there's going to be a problem. Then I'm not going to be fulfilling what God called me to be fulfilling, and so I need to remove the blockage and the distraction and be filled. Because... Because there's no limit to the Spirit. He gives the Spirit without limitation, without a max. He keeps coming. I got more. I told Amanda when she was standing up, you can't dance too much. That's going to spill the water all over the stage. (laughs) The Spirit keeps coming. The Spirit keeps flowing. He's going to keep flowing whether I'm allowing him to flow through me or not. I'm supposed to be a conduit, not a dead end. I've got to let him flow through me to be filled with that spirit. I've got to remove, thanks, bud. I've got to remove the measurements and say, okay, I'm filled to capacity now. I feel good about myself. I feel good. But no, it's not about feeling good. It's about doing what God wants us to do. It's about doing what he instructs us to do. It's about being filled with the spirit. Not just a little bit, not just getting a little spirit wet, 
I got a little bit of spirit on me today. It's good to go. My hand is covered in spirit. Y'all come up here and I'll just splash you. You'll be good. No, it's being filled, having him flow through us constantly onto those around us, onto the people we see, onto the guy at the gas station, onto the people at the store, onto our family, onto the people we call, our Sunday school class. Heaven forbid we have the Holy Spirit in our Sunday school class. I mean, man, what would that look like? I mean, if, if God, if the Spirit is in church, what will that look like? And we're not a blockage for what he's doing in us. But, but I don't know about you, but sometimes I allow distractions to prevent that in me. I allow distractions to gum up my works and prevent him from coming through me. You see, the only limit to the amount of spirit within me is me. It's not God. God's not going to limit. He says it right there, verse 34. He gives the spirit without measure. Jesus isn't looking at the measurement that I have have penciled in on myself saying, oh, I'm only going to give him that much today. He said that bad word last night. He's he's not getting that much more spirit. I'm just going to pull that away and not allow him to have it. He didn't give as I told him to give. He only gave so much. I'm not giving him the spirit. I'm I'm not giving him that spirit. That's not, no, he's going to continue to give the Spirit without measure. The only stoppage and blockage comes from me putting the blockage in and saying, I can only take so much. I can only take so much. No, we need to remove that. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Let him flow through us into everyone around us continually without stopping without limitation. And so what you have to ask yourself, is there somewhere in your life right now where you are resistant to the Spirit's movement? Because it's been my experience with my own life and some people I've observed and had conversation with that typically, generally, almost without exception, will allow the Spirit into some parts of our hearts in our lives, and our minds. But there's some stuff that we say is off limits. Say, God, you're not getting a hold of that one. I'm not letting you touch that. I'm not letting you touch that. Those people's opinion about politics, those people's opinion about vaccines, those people's opinions about masks, those people's opinions about what you wear in church, those people's opinions about whatever. I'm not letting you touch that. That's mine. And I'm going to say it and spout it and be it because that's my truth. The, the emphasis when we say something like that isn't on the truth, it's on my. And we make it all about us. And when it's all about us, it's not all about Jesus. We can't honestly then say it is necessary that he increase and me decrease. What we're doing in that moment is we're saying, I must increase. I've still got some Jesus, I'm good to go, but I must increase and must, must expound my wisdom and knowledge and experience on the world because they need it and they're so foolish without me. But that's not the way God designed it. God designed him to be the greatest, not us. Him to be the spotlight, not us. Paul, Paul is one of the most amazing thinkers when it comes to theological works in the history of the world. My small group is going through the book of Romans right now. I mean, he is just far and away, just so incredible. And Paul said when he would go and he would teach to people, he wouldn't use some elaborate language and some big, long, drawn-out sermon. He would just be very simple. He said, I only preach to you Christ and him crucified. And let him do the rest. Let God take care of the rest. We try to complicate it. We try to use our own cleverness and our own whatever and try, try to make it into something it's not and forget the base root of the deal is we are here to, to make disciples of ourselves, of our families, of our friends, of our coworkers, of everyone. And when we get to heaven, that's what our purpose is. When he says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's not because you had a big 401K. It's because you made disciples. You pointed people to Jesus. You are a conduit for his spirit flowing through you constantly, not a place of stoppage for his spirit. Is there somewhere in your life where you want control? 
Is there somewhere in your life where you feel you have the need to control something? And God has been speaking to you. You need to let that go. Man, you need to, you need to let that go. Maybe you felt come Monday after Sunday, I'm, I'm good. I got my driveway cleared off. I'm good. And then God brought the storm Monday, and everything changed. Everyone was iced in. Everybody, without exception. You could have been extra holy. You could have been extra unholy. You iced in the same, no matter what your preparation was. God showed us we don't have control. We don't have it. He does. And it's whether or not we're going to trust him. It's whether or not we're going to allow his spirit to flow through us and give him control. That is what's going to determine our usefulness, our influence. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. You may be of a certain age at the moment, and everyone who will remember your name in 100 years is alive right now. What's the influence you're going to have over them? pointing them to Jesus or not. I remember John Calvin, the reformer, when he died and he had all these followers. I've told this story before. And he was on the verge of dying. He said, don't put me in a place with a big headstone where people can come and they can see, oh, John Calvin was here. And He says, no, put me in some unmarked grave somewhere because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus all about Jesus. I mean, you think our political climate is crazy and everybody's opinions in today's day and time with Twitter is nuts. You should have been in first century Rome. That stuff was crazy. People getting killed left and right in the street. The depravity that happened on the street corners that was legal. It was all good in Rome. And then you go a few years after this and Christianity's all of a sudden illegal. Everything goes crazy. There's a point where the, the, the leader of the Roman government kicks all the Christians out of the city of Rome. Kicks them out. Not because they're Christians, but because their Christ was a Jew. Had nothing to do with them. <laughs> it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It wasn't legal. But he did it anyway. They didn't go yelling and screaming into the courts. They said, okay, God needs the gospel somewhere else. Because it was all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about my rights and what I deserve and what I've earned. You know, my dad told me something when I was a kid when I was trying to say, well, I have a right to this. He said, son, you don't have any rights. <laughs> you don't have any. Not just as a parent to a child, but in Christ. You don't have any rights. They're all Christ's. It's his. And am I surrendering my rights to his? Am I being a... a, a conduit for the spirit into the lives of those around me or am I stopping the spirit from going through me into anyone else where are you not allowing him in your life what opinion what control are you not surrendering to him what point of negativity because you still want to speak negatively about the, that person or that type of people are you not letting go for the kingdom because you feel better when you talk bad about so and so instead of praying for them, instead of pointing people to Jesus, instead of trying to encourage someone, instead of gossiping about somebody else. What do you need to let go of this morning? What do you need to let go of? Don't be thinking right now, if you're thinking, man, I know somebody who is across the room from me right now who needs to let go of such and such. Man, you're thinking the way the enemy wants you to think. This is a word for you, not for them. Maybe it is for them, but God's going to speak to them. You're not their Holy Spirit. So don't be their Holy Spirit. You can't fill somebody else up the way God can. Only he can. But in the same way, all of us need to stop being filled up or trying to fill ourselves up with somebody else <laughs> or some other opinion or some other conversation that we won't let out of our head. Because <laughs> we can only be truly satisfied and filled when we're filled with Jesus and the Spirit because we, he's given us the Spirit without measure, the Spirit who is God's Spirit in us. Without measure, without limitation. Be filled with the Spirit and allow Him to move within you. So where is it today? Ask yourself that question. Where is it today that you need Him to come into? What is the locked room in your house that you're not letting Him in? 
You've got tiles shoved under the door so the spirit can't get in because you want control in that area. You want control there, and you won't let go. You want control. You want, you want to at least feel like you're in control, even though you're really not. And you need to let go and say, I need to let the spirit have this. I need to, let the, I need to trust God and let the spirit have this. Where is it in you that God needs to work right now? Maybe that is you need Jesus. Maybe you need Jesus for the first time. We all need more Jesus. Maybe you need him for the first time. You see, Jesus, he died and rose from the dead as the son of God, paying for all of our sins, all of them. In one move, he paid for every move I made that was sinful. And there's nothing I can do tomorrow to undo what he already did. His death was more powerful than any action I can do. And so he died and he rose from the dead, all my sins forgiven. And I can't earn God's favor. I can't earn God's love. I can't earn God to think better of me today than he did yesterday. God knows all the parts of me, even the stuff that I don't know. Because scripture actually tells us this, both in Ephesians chapter 2. You've been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. And in Titus chapter 3, you are saved not by works. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing. Nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It only comes by believing in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so if you need to do that today, now's your moment. Now's your time. Do not wait. Do not hesitate. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. We walk around with no sense of urgency like we're all going to live to 150. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. In a thousand years, where are you going to be? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed your next breath. You're not guaranteed lunch today. But you have an opportunity to believe in Jesus right now if you're in the room, if you're watching online. Do you believe in Jesus? Will you now believe in him? That he's God's son. He died so all your sins will be forgiven. He rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Will you believe right now? And if you will believe, I'm going to pray in just a second. After I pray and say amen, if you're in the room, that's your cue. Come and talk to me or Micah. Micah, wave your hand. There's Micah. If you don't know Micah, there's Micah. We're both going to be here and we'll love to talk to you and pray with you. Celebrate if you want to believe. If you're watching online, there's a button right below, wherever you're watching, our website, YouTube, Facebook, all over the place. There's a button on all those places, a link that says, I made a decision. You click that link, and it sends an email straight to me, and I'll call you this afternoon, all right? Make a decision today for Jesus. Where is it in your life that you need more of Jesus? Jesus.